we're in our teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. Jesus is telling us how to live as Christians in a world that is non-Christian. How we are to have attitudes that are different than this world. We're going to be talking about adultery today. We've talked about murder. And if you remember, every time Jesus is addressing six things that the Pharisees held in high esteem. And his first one was murder. And it says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But then Jesus qualifies each time, six times, but this I say to you. And he gets into the deeper problem with sin in people's hearts. It starts in people's innards, insides, in their heart, their soul, their mind. We're going to be talking about adultery today. Cut it out and press on to righteousness. Every time you hear the word press on, think press on to righteousness, righteous living. Please stand as we read the word of God. Matthew 5, 27 through 32. Now, remember, all Jesus commands, I'm going to say this in the talk, are an expression of his love for us, and it, all of his commands protect us. Jesus is not saying something here to, to, to like lay the hammer on people and that sort of thing. It's always an expression of his love. God's love is being demonstrated to us every time he gives us a command. It is because he loves us and he knows it's what's best for us. And then talking about adultery starts out in verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. This is the word of God. Thank you. Please be seated. You guys have gotten so good with this. Yes, thank you. Father, thank you for this word. Open our eyes to the truth of it. Lord, there's things here that you want to teach us today. We are few in number, but I know that your spirit is alive and well within this group. I know that you will speak to our hearts things that we need to hear. And folks that are hearing online or Facebook or whatever it is, they may need to hear these words also. So your word will not return void. We, take, we trust that fully and completely. Open our eyes and our ears to truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And we have learned that Jesus came to keep the law and he kept the law perfectly, but he had a different view of the law than the, than the way the Pharisees viewed the law. He was always looking at a deeper view, a deeper meaning to the law. He's covering six subjects. Jesus is going to expound on the meaning of the text as it was originally intended by God. Jesus is doing something interesting here. He's doing what we call Bible exposition. Now, have you ever heard that word Bible exposition? Well, what does it mean? It means exposing the true meaning of the text. Now, there's two different ways that you can look at a text. And we have the overhead here. You can be, it could be eisegesis or exegesis. This is the teaching that happens in probably 90% of the churches, at least in the West. They don't rely a whole lot on Scripture. The interpreter makes the Scripture say what he, or what he wants it to say. You, admit, you take a topic, you throw a verse on it, and then you generally take the verse out of context to make it say what you want it to say. That is not how we rightly divide the word of truth. What we want to do, which is done very infrequently in this country, is to do exegesis. Now, why is exegesis not done? Well, because a lot of teaching is uncomfortable, like the teaching we're doing today on adultery. It's going to hit some people right between the eyes. It's going to be uncomfortable. Most people skim through this. Most people have nothing to do with this. But we go through the word line upon line, and we have to hit the subjects that are a little discomforting. So exegesis is what we want to do. The interpreter makes the scripture say what God has to say. And again, whoever does teaching, their responsibility is to do your best to present yourself to God 
as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth, who cuts the word straight, who says what God wants you to hear. Not what you want to hear, but what God wants you to hear. So that is what we're doing here today. So Jesus says, but I say to you, and he, his, his point is, he talked about murder, that murder starts in the heart before the action is actually carried out. It starts in the heart. It starts with your words or your thoughts becoming your words. And then he gave cautions about using your, your tongue in an improper way. Remember in our last teaching, he said, don't call anybody raka. That word doesn't mean anything to us, but it will in just a second. It means imbecile, numbskull, or blockhead. You know what that word, those words are. And then he says, don't call anybody a fool. That word it comes is the word moros in the Greek. And you know that's the word moron. And why are we not to call the people these names? Because we are made in the image of God. And you are good Bible students. You know what the image of God is. That's the imago Dei, the image of God. Genesis 1.26, let us make God, us plural, make God in our image plural, in our likeness plural. We serve a plurality of in, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. One God, three persons. We were given dominion to rule over the, over the earth. That's what it says in We were given dominion to rule. The word was rada, the authority to rule. Mankind had theocratic administration of earth. Theogodocratic administration of earth. Now, I want you to think about something. When you think about our world today, there are three basic types of government. Number one is a theocracy. Theo is God, Krusty rules. God rules. One nation in the history of the world was ruled under God. And in my notes, I have written up here, Israel. Israel is a nation that was established by God, ruled by God, they had the responsibility given to them by God to tell the world about the true God. Now, what happened to Israel is they got immersed in the cultures and the societies in their region. They started worshiping false gods and idols, and they reneged. They, they, they did not carry out their assignment. God set them aside for a time. Now he's using the church, but it is a global church. It is not a, simp not a single nation. It is that everybody who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ worldwide is part of this. That's the first form of government. The second one is a monarchy. Mono means one. Archy again rules. The king rules. This happens all over the world today. And then we have something called a democracy where people rule. Where people rule. Now, I want you to think about something, about the difference between a democracy and a republic. I know we're taking a little, little road trip here, but I think this is important. Thomas Jefferson said this. There's a big difference between a democracy and a republic. A democracy is nothing more than mob rule where 51% can take away the rights of the other 49%. John Adams says the following, whereas a republic is a government of laws. Now, we have experienced kind of a difficulty in our country recently with being a government of laws. We have had people ignoring the law all over our country. And you feel a discomfort from that because you're not used to living in that type of environment. We have always been a nation of laws and rules and that sort of thing. And then John Adams goes on to say, a democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes itself, exhausts, and murders itself because there never was a democracy that didn't commit suicide. Now, the next picture is going to be two little circles that come up. And it's going to compare a democracy with a republic. Now, a democracy is the majority-based decisions. It is national sovereignty, meaning that government is everything and there's no constraints on the government. Okay? We do not live in a democracy. Our forefathers had the forethought to make this a republic. A constitution was given to us. Individual sovereignty instead of national sovereignty is, is the goal. See, national sovereignty is something like in communism, where everybody works for the good of the collective, and the individual is nothing, absolutely nothing. America is rather unique in that we have individual sovereignty, and there are constraints on the government. In communism, or in a democracy, everything is about the government. Government gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more in control. In a republic, this was, 
to be small. Protect your borders. Protect your people. Individual sovereignty was what was pointed at. Now, let's go back to Genesis. Thinking about mankind was given the ability to rule on this earth. To rule. And to reign. That happened for a short period of time. And then Satan came and tempted. And we had the fall of man. Adam and Eve, our representatives, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin came into the world. And with sin came death. Satan is called the God of this age. He now has administrative authority over this earth. He's usurped what humanity was supposed to do. Jesus calls him the ruler of this world at least three times in the book of John. And I want you to think about this. Satan is the greatest mass murderer in the universe. He brought sin into the world. So every time you see a death, a human death, an animal death, plant, anything that has life, anything that it dies, think of Satan's rebellion against God and what he brought into our world. Satan's problem started in his heart. Just like our problems with sin starts in our heart. Our heart. Isaiah 14, 12 through 13 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, for you have said in your heart, in your inner being, then there's the five I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will, culminating in this, I will be like the most high. I will be worshiped like God. I will have a high standing and all these other created beings will bow before me just like they do God. And I want you to think about something. There are fallen angels that have authority over certain areas in Satan's dominion, in his kingdom here on earth. Temporarily, these are called little gods, little Elohims, little idols, little, little false gods. Now, Satan has a hierarchy of ruling on earth. We see in Ephesians chapter 6, 12, this hierarchy. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness. In Colossians 2, 14, having disarmed principalities and powers. Now, there's going to be a picture that goes up here that talks about the spiritual mafia hierarchy. And they go through 612, and they just remind you about rulers and powers and forces of darkness and spiritual forces and that sort of thing. There is a hierarchy of rule in Satan's kingdom. Now, he didn't make this up on his own. Remember, Satan is the great copycat. And so what he has copied is the following chart. Thrones, this is the angelic realm. Thrones of God. Now, this is, this is God's hierarchy. Now, these are the supreme in authority. Now, most charts that I got have this mixed up. I believe the cherubim are the highest, not the seraphim. It goes cherubim, seraphim, thrones. This is the angelic council that God has assembled that I believe he uses to rule the universe, and we see this in different areas of Scripture, and I've mentioned this in the past, so we don't have to belabor that. And there's dominions and virtues and powers. These are all authorities. And then there's the lower level, principalities, archangels, angels, and then the lowest is humankind for a time. See, we were made a little lower than the angels, but in our glorified state, we will be judging angels. Isn't that interesting? So Satan has copied this hierarchy. Remember, he is a copycat. Now, Satan will have his time when he's worshipped. The angelic realm worships him. Most of the world, knowing or unknowingly, worships him because everyone born into the world is born into the kingdom of darkness and must be forcefully extracted from the kingdom of darkness by the Lord Jesus Christ when we believe in him. Believe in him. But he will have his time when all people, just about everybody's going to worship him. And that's when the abomination of desolation happens. Satan possesses the Antichrist, demands that all worship go to him. If you don't worship him, you don't take his mark, you will die or not be able to feed yourself and that sort of thing. So he will have his time. It will be short-lived. But we must know this while we are here. And it's my responsibility to teach you this, and I think you already know it, that you, every human, must know the following. God says, 
you shall have no other gods before me. God says you shall not make your, for yourself an idol. God says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And Jesus says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is not a cursory relationship with God. Christianity is a deep relationship with the living God, not just a superficial every now and then relationship. It is a deep relationship with the living God. God alone is to be worshipped. God alone is most high. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Man, that is my name and my glory I will not give to another. Folks, the great murderer came into this world, Satan. And he has usurped authority. All death can be tracked back to him. We have learned that murder starts in our hearts. And a lot of things that we say, we can kill with our tongue. Remember last time we talked about Lashahara. By the way, this is a, a review. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you got that yet. This is a review. Lashahara means the evil tongue. And we are told to guard our tongue. Remember Psalm 141.3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. Guard your tongue. Agree quickly. Now, think about this. Deal, in order to, to deal with your heart, you have to deal with heart issues quickly before they explode. We are to nip it. Nip it. Nip it. That wasn't supposed to go up just yet. But anyway, <laughs> it's okay. It was close. I want you to know... In a world far away, there was a great sage, a philosopher. It existed at a time of black and white TV. His name was, and then it was supposed to go up, Barney Fife. Yes, Barney. Nip it in the bud, Andy. Nip it. Now, most people don't know Barney, but if you're my age or about, you know Barney Fife. That's right. So how do we nip it in the bud? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So this week we're going to be talking about a big problem in our world, and that's adultery. Now I want you to think about this. Whenever I'm mentioning this, Jesus is not saying this in a way that he's coming at people with a sledgehammer. Look at, it, at him as saying it with compassion in his heart, saying, don't do this. Don't do this. If you do this, you're in danger of hell. You're in danger of Gehenna. That's the word, Gehenna, the valley of Gehenna, the garbage dump that burns and smells and smolders. Don't do it. You can almost hear the passion and don't do it, please. So it starts in verse 27, the command to do not commit adultery. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. This is the seventh commandment. Now, is there anything questionable about that commandment? Is there anything hazy about that commandment? I would say, no, there's not. But in our culture today, our culture looks at purity, fidelity, trustworthiness as passe. Old-fashioned, much like Barney is old-fashioned. Purity is scorned at. We're living in a hypersexualized society. Internet, television, commercials, Movies, magazines, books, everything is about sex, 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 and more sex. And if you talk about what the Bible teaches with moral purity, you are looked at as a religious crazy zealot, almost like a Martian, prudes, purity. They look at you, really? You believe in that stuff? And we say, Yes, we do, because God does, and God takes it seriously. God says in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit murder. Murder. Adultery. Adultery. I'm stuck on that. Now, this commandment protects the sacredness of the marriage relationship ordained by God. Let me say that again. The marriage relationship is ordained by God. In Genesis chapter 3, 
or two, excuse me, Genesis chapter two, we'll read the following. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. He's leaving past life, be joined to his wife, super glued to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Now, I want to tell, just express this to you. Marriage is a significant thing to God. It's been poo-pooed in our society, but it is not to God. Number one, it's a, the number one priority of relationships that we have on earth. It's a priority. A man shall leave his father and mother. It also means the man shall leave the softball team as his number one goal in life or the bar or whatever else he's connected to. Number two, it's permanence. He'd be joined to his wife. What you don't see there is joined to his husband. See, it's been perverted in our world today. It's been perverted. Then we see oneness. They shall become one flesh. And then they were open. When I say one flesh, let me just say this. When you get married, it's no longer mine, 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 yours, yours, yours. Change the vocabulary. It's ours, 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 ours. Now, sometimes I make a mistake and say, okay, hon, which, which car are we going to drive? We're going to drive your car or my car. But that's only because that's the one that she normally drives or I normally drive. But it's ours. It's ours together. And finally, there was openness. They were both naked and not ashamed. Let me say this as loud, am I loud? Loudly and clearly as I possibly can say it. Marriage is to be a public ceremony. We're married under the covenant of God. And you are telling everyone in the world, this person is off limits and they belong to one another. All other relationships trying to squeeze into this relationship are prohibited. That is why it's a public ceremony. And also, it is a, does three things. When you get married under the covenant of God, you are making an, an agreement with God that I will stay in this relationship until I die. That's okay. Secondly, you mean the commitment to one another. To one another. I commit to you. I pledge to you. I give my life to you. And then thirdly, you are telling everyone out there that this person belongs to me and I to them. Okay? So that's important. You're making a covenant relationship. Adultery breaks the oneness. Adultery breaks into this permanence. Adultery is a destroyer of relationships. So adultery is this, just so you, in case you don't understand what adultery is, okay? Is to have sex with someone that is not your husband or wife. Now, does, is that confusing to anybody? No, Mr. Gorm, it's not confusing. No, oh, thank you. Sex is a wonderful gift of God, regulated by God, but bound by the marriage covenant. God is not a prude. He's the one that invented this whole thing. Sex is not wrong if it's used, used correctly. What's the big deal about adultery? Well, it's because it's destroying families and destroying homes. And listen to this. Let me repeat this again. God's law always provide for and protect his people. God is not trying to be a prude by saying you can't have sex with anybody you want to have sex with. God's laws are always an expression of his love for his people. It's love for his people. Now, in adultery involves sexual immorality. The King James says fornication. And we see this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 6, and many other places, but I'll just read you these verses. For this is the will of God for you. Now, you're a Christian. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain ways that you are expected to act and conduct yourself in this world. That you, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, being set apart unto God. That you should abstain, is that confusing? From sexual immorality. Cut it out. Don't do it. That's what he's saying. Okay, real clear. Now, what is sexual immorality? Well, the word is pornea, from where we get our word pornography. And it's this. Any... Any, can, I, can you say any, any, any sexual act outside the marriage covenant. 
any, any sexual act, any, any. So adultery, premarital sex, sneaking around sex, homosexual sex, pornography, people living outside the marriage covenant, living together. Lord, this is wrong. This is a wrong thing to do. And then he goes on to say, you are believers. You are to live this way, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passionate lust like the heathen, the rest of the world does this, but not you. You're different. You belong to God. You belong to God. That no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this manner. Folks, adultery is a big deal to God. Sexual immorality is a big deal to God. Swept under the rug by our society for sure. Looked at as, as you're a simpleton and you're just, you're just an old-fashioned prude. No, it is serious to God. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says this. Flee. What does that mean? Run your little hiney off away from this, from sexual immorality, from pornea. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. He who sins sexually sins against his own body. God is serious about sexual purity. He is. No way, no, no way around it. In verse 28, adultery starts in the heart. Every sin starts in the heart. Verse 28, Jesus said, but I say to you, it's not just the, the letter of the law. It starts in your thoughts. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, folks, men are visual. Women are emotional. The pornographic industry knows this. So they, they attract women with emotion and, and love stories and that sort of thing. And they attract men visually. Visually. They know how to get to you. They know how to attack you. It starts in the heart, in the mind, in the inner man. The thought precedes the action. And let me say loud and clear, guard your heart. Guard your mind. How do I do that? Well, we have a little picture here to help you with it. Guard what you see. Now, that's actually something we're supposed to do. You see a magazine article that's off, don't look at it. You have a movie that has something in it that's, that might be a, off, off kilter, don't look at it. It has a great storyline. It, it really bothers me in some of these things. It's a great story, it sounds great, and all of a sudden they got a sex scene in it. And I'm going, what's that there for? It has nothing to do with the story. Guard what you see, what you say, what you do, what you hear. Everything you do flows from your heart, from the inner person, from your soul, from your thoughts, your minds, your emotions. Guard your heart. The moral law's focus was this. You shall not commit adultery. That was the law that was given. Jesus' focus was different. His focus is on the thought that precedes the act. But this I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. And for every man that's ever walked this earth, it is a uh, in the heart. Because we have a problem with this. It starts with the eye gate. And that word look is in the present tense. Present tense. That means to continue to look. And if you have my notes, you would see written right here, oogle. Not Google. To oogle, to continue to look at, to continue to lust in your mind. To oogle, to fix your gaze upon. Now, you cannot help what comes into your, into your mind. Most of the time, you cannot help. It just, things come across your mind. But you can help what stays in your mind. You have been born again of the Spirit. You have been given the Holy Spirit of the living God that has given you power to overcome your, your urges. Okay? We call this kratos power. I'll mention it a couple times in this talk. You've heard it in the past. What is that? Well, you can overcome your flesh urges. You are not powerless in this battle. In fact, God looks at you as a believer, as a victor. 
as an overcomer, as a Nikeo, an overcomer. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Seeing something enticing is not the sin. It is the continual looking, the oogling, the lusting in your mind that it becomes sin. The word lust is epithumio. Epithumio. Epi upon thumio, the mind. To desire, to long after, to want to have that thing. It starts with Satan knowing exactly where your problem area is. For a lot of men, it might be lust. For a lot of women, it could be, could be different, although it's changing today. Uh, think about this. Sexual sin and adultery has been around since the beginning. Think about King David, a hero of the scripture, a man after God's own heart. He did not deal with his eye gate. He did not deal with his lust gate. When he was supposed to be out to war against the Amorites, he was walking around on his, on his top of his citadel, his castle, wherever his dwelling was, and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And instead of just glancing and seeing, say, oh, I better not look at that, he started to oogle, and he started to lust, and it created a sequence of events in his life that were devastating. King David, for 50 years, was being blessed by God. And for the last 20 years of his life, he lived with the consequences of that decision. He had Bathsheba because he wanted her. He had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. Tumult and disaster entered his house. His daughter was raped by his, by his, by his half-brother. There was a killing. Of one, Absalom kills Amnon, who did the rape. Absalom then tries to take over the kingdom. Absalom then gets killed himself. And there's tragedy after tragedy after tragedy that entered David's house. Because he took the bait. He, he did not check his inner desire. And when his, when his desire was conceived, it brought forth death. And he succumbed to the flesh trap. Folks, God's word is true. You reap later and you reap greater what you sow. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 cries to us. This is the Spirit of God. It's inspired by the Spirit of God. Paul's pinning this. Do not be deceived. Let me say that again. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, brethren. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he will also reap. If he sows to the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. If he sows to the spirit, it will reap life, eternal life. Careful, folks. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Private thoughts lead to public actions. And I've said this for the last couple of weeks, Proverbs 23, 7. So as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We have great ability as humans to make excuses for what we do. And we think in our hearts and we convince ourselves. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Adultery starts in the heart and, God, and Jesus is so plain. He's saying, cut it out. Anything that leads to sin, cut it out. Verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish and your whole body be cast into hell, Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it out from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members be perish than for your whole body to be cast in to this garbage dump of burning, smelling awfulness that is hell. The warning is stark. And, and Jesus isn't saying this gleefully. I think he's saying, please, cut it out. Don't do this. Now, is, is Jesus serious about you poking out your eye and cutting off your hand? No, this is called hyperbole. This is called hyperbole. But careful with your eyes. Careful what you touch. Eye and touch oftentimes go hand in hand. Be careful. Be careful. You know, if we were to take this literally, 
Every one of us in here would have a patch on our eye and be walking around like, like Richard Kimball on The Fugitive with one arm cut off. You guys don't even know who Richard Kimball is either. But anyway, in a, in, a, in, a, in a galaxy long ago, there was a program called The Fugitive. Yes. Jesus is pretty clear. And I think what he's warning about here goes beyond adultery. He's talking about continual unrepentant sin in anyone's life is an indication they are in danger of hell. Oftentimes people think, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's just this one little area. Sin separates you from God. Sin is egregious in the eyes of a holy, righteous, pure, just God. And he says loud and clear, cut it out. Cut it out. Now, how many of you have heard your mother say, cut it out? I mean it, cut it out. Now, where do you think they got that? They got it from the word. Cut it out. Now, I want to give a qualifier here. Look, at you are born in this world. You've been extracted from the kingdom of darkness. You've, you're born again in the kingdom of God, but you still have a sin nature. And the demonic realm knows your area of weakness. And each one of us has an area that we're drawn to. And they're well aware of it. They're well aware of it. And they're going to be trying to hit you in those areas. Continue on repentance and cut it out. I think it is important for every believer to realize that we must be in a struggle against the thing that is most appealing to us. We all have something, so at least be in the struggle. There can be an occasional or more than occasional relapses into the old life. Now, if you're being honest, if you, there's relapses into the old life. The believer must be in the battle. That's the important thing, not giving in. Our attitude regarding sin is important. It is important. Will we fail? Yes, we will fail. Will we be in the battle? Hopefully you say, yes, I'm in the battle. Yes, I'm in the battle. Will we lose this battle in our own strength? Yes, you will. A lot of people say, I'm going to use willpower. I'll never eat another Snickers in my whole life, I swear. Yeah, uh-huh. Willpower. We need something more than willpower. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to take over us, take us over to live in, in a manner that is pleasing to him. All Again, all believers are viewed as overcomers in Scripture. I want to emphasize this. Emphasize this. All believers have the Holy Spirit in them with the kratos power to say no to your flesh and yes to your spirit. You can overcome anything through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about cocaine. I'm talking about food addictions. I'm talking about alcohol. I'm talking about sex addiction. I'm talking about anything that you might have can be overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. All believers have the Holy Spirit's kratos power to say no to their flesh urges. All believers can cut it out because they can. All believers can press on, and I didn't write righteousness there, but remember, that's what I mean. Righteousness, press on to righteousness because they can. Not because of them, but because of the Holy Spirit power that is within you. Lean on God, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is how we overcome the flesh. Now, I want, to, want you to think about something. Careful how you think. Careful how you think. We have all been saved from some awful situation. How we were at one time. We're all, you can be a liar, a gossip, a drunk, an adulterer, a homosexual, uh, uh, whatever your thing is. You, we do not self-identify as I'm a, I'm, I'm a gay Christian. There's no such thing as a gay Christian. No, you are a Christian who at one time struggled with, with, with maybe still struggle with homosexuality. You are not, an, a, I'm an adulterer Christian. I'm a gossip Christian. I'm a lying Christian. I'm a lying Christian. I'm a, you know, whatever your thing is. 
We do not self-identify that way. We identify as children of the Most High God, El Elyon. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. I'm the bride of Christ. I'm going to inherit great things when I go to heaven. That's what I identify as. But the caution is so stark in Scripture that if you are living a way that is displeasing to God, there are two, at least two areas. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, both talk about habitual sin in a person's life. And folks, if you're living this way, the scripture says really plain. I don't care how righteous you might be, try to be or, or what other areas you try to compensate in. If you are doing these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is not said gleefully. This is said with a broken heart. This is said with an, an appealing to you. Don't do this. Cut it out. Neither fornicators. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. There you go. Do not be deceived, church. Neither fornicators. That's sexual immorality. That's pornea. Any sex outside the, outside the marriage covenant. Nor idolaters. The list is, is big. Nor adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covenants, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, or whatever you can slip in that's your thing, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he has this rescue. But such were some of you. Some of you who have been washed, cleansed, sanctified, justified, changed by the Spirit of God, brought into the family of God. Folks, we're all delivered from something. Don't get stuck in living with, I'm okay with this life. Because I don't know that you are. I cannot tell you that you are. It's a great danger. The problem is this. We all sin, and, I, and I'm going to say this. We all sin a lot. We do not understand the degree of depravity of our being. God is righteous. God is holy. God is just. God is perfect. We are not. Our perfection comes by Jesus' blood being applied to my life. And now Jesus sees me, or God sees me as he sees Jesus, his son. I'm pure and holy because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Other than that, I am not. I am not. That's on the authority of the word of the living God. This is what he says. For all believers, all sin is under the blood of Christ. For believers, listen to this, your conscience and Holy Spirit conviction will keep you on track. Folks, you know when you're doing something wrong. Don't rationalize it. Don't make excuses for it. For believers, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5-6. This is an important scripture. We've been through it many times. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Examine means to try or to prove whether good or evil. Deter to determine your weaknesses and your strength. Test yourself. You know this word, dakimozo. Remember they used to have pottery and the pottery would be cracked and the, and the crooked potters would put wax over the cracks and try to sell it to the people. But the wise people, the astute people, would hold it up to the light. And they could see the cracks and they would say, oh, hey, dakimos. This is not genuine. Our lives are held up to the light. Have you really believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you have cracks? Have you put wax on it and you look good, but when you're held up to the light, you're impure. You're adakimos. You're disqualified. Test your life. Well, how do you test your life? Folks, it's with the faith ladder. We've been through this in the past. Oh, I skipped all of this, didn't I? Okay. Test your life. How? The faith ladder. Here we go. Now, we are to add to your faith, your saving faith, your born-again faith, there's an expectation of growth in the, in the Christian life. That you're not just static. You're not just static. There is growth. We are to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Now watch this. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. 
If you do these things and abound, you will not be barren and unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the kingdom of God. You know you're in the family of God if you're growing. If you're growing. Now look at We've said this in our last teaching when this ladder was up here about 10 years ago or so. Okay? It wasn't this ladder. I couldn't find that ladder. But anyway, you're climbing up the ladder. Now you might get to this wrong brotherly kindness. Slip. Ding, 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 ding. Then you, what do you do? You get over here and whine and have a pity party and say, oh, I'm never going to make it up that ladder. No. You start climbing again. Through the Spirit's power, through the Spirit's strength. You can't take a step up this ladder without the Holy Spirit. But he guides you. He will help you. He will help you. And guess what? When you slip down, you might make it all the way to the top. Oh, I made great. You don't get over here and go, I'm condemned, I'm so bad. Because Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. But anyway, get back on the ladder. Growth demonstrates something. And I wrote something here to help you with it. It seems that growing gives assurance you're going. You got it? Some people never grow and stay babies all their lives. That's the truth. There are carnal Christians that just don't... The little babies are the center of attention, usually take up all the, all the efforts of people around them. Now, these people that are babies, they may be going, but they don't know they're going because they're not growing. So you don't know. You don't know. Obedience to Jesus' commands indicates you're growing and you're going. And hear this. Being chastened by the Spirit of God, being convicted by the Spirit of God, is an indication that you're genuine. If you are not chastened by God when you are in sin, folks, you better look at yourself. Because there's a high likelihood you are not genuine. Cut out anything, folks, that leads to sin. Cut it out and press on to righteousness. Finally, in closing, it all starts, as you know, in the heart with a thought. We must control what we allow into our minds. Now, fleshly you, sin nature you, is always going to want to wallow in the past, will entertain the past, and is very comfortable in the past. You must resist this. Many Christians are content with believing they're okay with habitual sin, given into sin. Folks, there's a danger here. There's a danger. Jesus' warning about hell is real. He spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And he's pleading, don't go there. Cut off your hand. Poke out your eye. Please don't go there. He's pleading with you. Consider your life and examine your life. Are you a true believer or not? No other human can do this for you. I can't look at you, 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 you. You can't look at me and know that I'm genuine. That is a self-examination. Now, there's fruit that can, be, that can be demonstrated in people's lives and that sort of thing. But when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, only God can determine. But in 1 John chapter 5, 13, we have these words. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not equivocal. Why do you know? Because 1 John is a book of sanctification, is a book of growth, of demonstration that you're in the family of God. So we are not, not love the world. Let me give you an example. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the eye, the, 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 the lust of the eye, the pride of life, now, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world's desires pass away, but he who does the will of God lives forever. And then it says, you must know who Jesus really is. You must obey Jesus' command. Then you must have a love for the brethren. And he goes on and on and on in 1 John. Hell is real and it's awful. And Jesus is serious. Momentary pleasure is not worth the long-term forever pain. Believers who go down the sin-pleasure road will also go down the consequence-chastening road. And folks, we, if, you're, if you're honest, we've all been down it. 
don't want to go there, reaping later and greater is awful. And all sin starts in the heart. So guard your heart. Everybody come back for just a second. You've heard me talking. It's getting kind of monotonous to you. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your thought. And by all means, guard making excuses. Guard making excuses. Compromise is Satan's calling card. You're okay. You're doing okay in all these other areas. You can have this one. No, compromise. It's just easier to cheat, to steal, to do whatever thing you're doing. It's just easier to do it. It's not that big a deal. I'm not as bad as this person or that person. Remember, it seems that growing gives assurance you're going. Some may be going, but don't know for sure they're going because they're not growing. Jesus lays it on the line. You can't miss this. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, keep my commands. That, he just lays it right there. So what I want to say to you, Recon Calvary Chapel, Ranger, Ranger Calvary Chapel, Delta Company Calvary Chapel, or Delta Force, whatever you are, fight on, soldier, fight on. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Christian battle cry is this, cut it out and press on to righteousness. And do not take your eyes off of Jesus like Peter did and start to drown. Don't give up. You are victors. Keep your eyes on Jesus. This year, all year, keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study the, your word. This is a difficult subject, Lord. I know it's touchy for a lot of people, but it's important. It's important that we know what you desire, that you desire for us to live pure and holy and righteous before you, that we would not dishonor ourselves or dishonor our God by living in a way that's inappropriate. Holy Spirit, do your work in each one of our hearts and help us to know the heart of God, that all of his commandments are an expression of his love. All of his commandments are there to protect us. May we do what is right in the eyes of the living God and not what is right in the eyes of this world. Focus to be on you, Lord. All eyes on Jesus. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.